The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. We're going to continue this morning in our study on the Great Commission, and uh, <clears throat> going to review just a little bit of what we talked about last week. Last week we talked about the implementation of the commission, of the Great Commission. And last week I, I talked about Jesus being a master builder and we being his tools in his construction. And I, I talked about my father a little bit. My father was a, was a carpenter for many years. And when my father built a beautiful piece of furniture or, or beautiful cabinets, People didn't praise his tools, they praised him, the craftsman. And our role as tools in, in this work of the Great Commission is not to draw attention to ourselves. It's not so that we might be recognized for what we do, but it's, it's to draw attention to the Heavenly Father, to the Master Builder, to the craftsman, Jesus Christ. And we, that's what we want to do. And we, we started talking a little bit about what we need to do in our lives to enable us to be useful to God as his tools. Uh, I, I talked a little bit about how my father had certain tools that he would use for a certain type of work. And when he got down to the very delicate crafts, <laughs> craftsmanship of, of finished work, he had special tools that he used only for that. And they were, he'd keep them inside of, he'd keep them wrapped up so they wouldn't get damaged and scarred up and misused and, and things such as that. And that's the kind of, that should be the drive of our lives, is to be the type of Christian, the type of tool, the type of servant that the Lord can depend on. Last week we talked about, first, that we are to walk worthy of our Father. And I used two words to describe this, this term of walking worthy. I said one is that we should, our life should be befitting of the Heavenly Father, befitting of His glorious name, befitting of His, of His, uh, His pristine character. Uh, and becoming. Our life should be becoming of a child of God. Um, when I was growing up, my father drilled it in my head. He used to say, Abshires don't do certain things. There's just certain things that the name Abshire is not associated with. And so he always told me, he said, I'm not a wealthy man. I can't leave you money or properties. But what I can leave you is a good name. But what you do with it from here on is your, it's, it's up to you. I've told my son the same thing. He was a little disappointed when he found out he's not going to get money or, or possessions. But, but I told him, I said, you know, I've given you, I've given you my father's name and I've done everything I can to honor it. And now it's up to you to do the same thing. Uh, so we are to walk worthy of our father. In such a way that people would, would associate good character with, with the Lord God. And then we talked about walking circumspectly. And that word circumspectly I identified with two words also, heedful, aware of our, of our responsibilities, walking aware of what's, what's around us, being heedful to the circumstances we face, and disciplined, having priorities and having a set of rules and commitments that we stick to no matter what. We don't change, we don't change our commitments, we don't change what we've determined to be right because of situation. Uh, we walk circumspectly. Now today I'd like to, talk about a third aspect of this walk of ours and that is number three to walk in holiness walk in holiness if you would turn with me to first peter chapter one we'll begin reading it but before we go any further let me let me stop and let, let's pray first we haven't prayed yet 
Our Father, we thank you for your word and the wisdom and the truth that you impart to us through your word. And I pray now that as we open the, your word to study, I pray that you would enlighten us and that you would, you would strengthen us. And Father, you'd give us a zeal and a compassion for you that we would live to your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. Peter writes here, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts of your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. I want to focus just for a second on verse 14. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance. You know, before we were saved, we did things in ignorance somewhat. And we, we behaved a certain way. We did, we did certain things. The problem in America today is there's so little, there's so little commitment challenge. People are challenged so little to commit. People are, are, are not taught the expectations of God. So many, so many ministries around this country just want to talk about God being love and God loves you and, and God wants you to be prosperous and God wants you to have nice things and God wants you to be happy. And that's wonderful. Those are all truths about God. He does, he does love us and he does care about us and he does want to have good things. And all those things are true, but he has expectations also. God expects certain things out of his children. Just like you expect certain things out of your children. And God has expectations. And those expectations, before, in our ignorance, we didn't really know what they were, so we, we ignored them. But now that we're saved, we're not to go back to that lifestyle. We're not to go back to that behavior, that way of living. We are to live as God's children. We are to live with the knowledge. And so he says in verse 15, But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So God wants us to be holy. Now, in, in, in determining what, what is being discussed here with holiness, Webster defines holiness as, and I believe I have this definition on your study sheets. We're, we're old school today, no, no PowerPoint. So don't look up to the PowerPoint there. You're not going to get any satisfaction there. But Webster defines holiness as, as being applied to human beings. Uh, he, he says, holiness is purity of heart or dispositions. Sanctified affections, piety, moral goodness. But look at what he says at the end. But not perfect. So Webster clearly tells us the definition of holiness as it applies to us as human beings is not that we are to be perfect, for we cannot be perfect. But these other qualities we can possess. Purity of heart, purity of disposition, sanctified affections, piety, moral goodness. And this definition is consistent with everything we know to be true concerning the nature and the propensities of the human heart. No perfection can be found in us. Therefore, if we are to fulfill the admonitions of Scripture to be holy, we are going to need a great deal of help indeed. If I am going to be holy, I'm going to need, I'm going to need some help. Because if you hang around me very long, you'll know that I need a lot of help. To be holy, and I'm sure you do too. And this is where our lesson will take us this morning. I want, to, I want us to see where our holiness comes from, as well as see what it produces in our life. Now, to accomplish this is going to take me more than just this lesson. 
So we'll begin this morning with two foundational truths surrounding our holiness. So letter A this morning, first, I want us to understand that we have been appointed to holiness. We have been appointed to holiness. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And we see here that God has chosen us before the foundation of the world, but I'm not going to expound on election this morning. But I want, us, I want you to understand that in that choosing of, of you and I before the foundation of the world, he also chose that we would be holy and that we would be without blame before him. Now, of course, this is not to say that there is anything in me or in you that will cause us to be holy in God's sight. He, he, he appointed us to be without blame before him, but it's not because of us. Paul tells us in Romans seven eighteen, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Paul said there's nothing good in me. And he wasn't talking about me, he was talking about him, but it just so happens that's true about me also. There's nothing good in me. If there is any, if, if I am able to do anything good, it is not me that does it. It is, it is the grace of God. Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And, and we better be careful with that. There are too many Christians running around this world today thinking that they're something special. Thinking that they're a little bit better than everybody else around them. And you know, there's nothing good in me, and I got news for you. I hate to tell you this. I don't want to disappoint you or shake you up, but there's nothing good in you either. Nothing good in you or in me. So it is evident here that our appointment unto holiness is not based upon our flesh, nor is it based upon our ability to do good. We can do good sometimes, right? We can do, we, sometimes we're good people by, by accident. Every now and then we do something good, huh? So then how does God appoint us into holiness? If there's no good in us, and if there's nothing that we can do that God considers good, then, then how does he appoint us unto holiness? Well, in Romans 5.17, Paul tells us, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So we understand here from Paul's writings in Romans that it is by the grace of God, the gift of righteousness that has been given to us. Not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. Just as the nature of sin was passed unto you and me by Adam, so by Jesus Christ is the nature of righteousness passed on to each of us upon our salvation, upon our redemption unto the, unto the Lord. Through grace, each of us receives an imputed righteousness. Not our own, but the righteousness of Christ. It's his. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30, we read, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So this, this gift of, of righteousness, this gift of holiness, it's not our righteousness, it's not our holiness, it's the holiness of Christ, is imputed to us. Now what does that mean? Well, I, I'm a diabetic, as, as is Brother Gary and my wife, and I, I, think, I think Mrs. Um, Rico and others. 
So every night before I go to bed, I have to take a syringe. And I have to fill that syringe to a certain level with insulin because my body does not produce enough insulin. And I have to inject myself with that insulin. And what I'm literally doing is I am, I am imputing insulin into my body. Now, when we got saved, Jesus didn't come down with a big syringe and, and shoot us up full of, of righteousness. But in a manner of speaking, that's exactly what happened. We have been, we have been infused... We have been, in a manner of speaking, injected with the righteousness of Christ into our lives by virtue of, our, of the grace that God has given us. It's not my righteousness. It's his. I mean, if I have the ability to live a holy life apart from the gift of God's infinite grace, then why would I have need of a savior? If you or I had the ability to do good, If we had the ability to live a holy life, then Jesus would not have had to come and and, and take our place. Because we would have had within us that righteousness. But the truth is, I cannot stand before the Lord in holiness. And here's here's something interesting I, I, I want you to hear. Even if I avoid the temptations of life and do not sin, which I cannot, even if I did not sin... I still could not stand before God in holiness because I'm, I'm a child of Adam. I'm a son of man and therefore I am born with that sinful nature. Whether I am able to control it and not sin or not is irrelevant. Even then I would stand before the Lord guilty simply by virtue of the sin nature that I possess. So you see this morning I want us to see that there is no hope of righteousness in our fleshly bodies. No hope of righteousness for us. In our, in our flesh. Our only hope for righteousness is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9, Paul states, And be found in him, him being Jesus, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So our, own, our only hope this morning, my only hope to, to live in holiness. And again, that's not perfection, but as, as Webster defined it, that, will be, uh, that would be having a pure heart for God, pure dispositions, sanctified affections, piety, and moral goodness. If, I'm, if I have any hope of living my life in those things, then my only hope is found in Christ Jesus, my Lord. So if I'm going to be a tool today for God's use, if I'm going, I'm going to have to learn to walk in the holiness that has been given to me in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this I can do. I can do this by the submission of my life and by the surrender of my will unto him. Paul stated in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, Paul says, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm the cat's meow. That's in the Greek. You have to understand Greek to you know that. He said, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And because Paul says there, I press toward the mark, that signifies to me that living for Christ takes effort. It doesn't happen just because you're saved. 
Simply because you've been redeemed doesn't mean you're going to get up the next morning and start walking in holiness. It takes effort. You have to determine in your heart that you are not going to set anything wicked before your eyes. You're going to have to choose to turn off the television set. You're going to have to choose to change the radio station. You're going to have to choose to speak uh, in such a way that others are edified. You're going to have to choose where you go. And not involve yourself in some place you ought not be simply because there's a good deal there. Or simply because it's convenient. We have to choose. So there's, there's nothing that you can do to be holy on your, on, of your own. But you must live a life, a disciplined life in the holiness of Christ. If his, if his righteousness will shine forth from our lives. So first this morning I, I want all of us to see that we have been appointed to holiness, not by our flesh, not by our abilities, not because of what we can do, not because of who we are. God didn't look down from heaven at Brian and say, oh, look at, look at Brian. Boy, wouldn't he be a great representative of me? Wouldn't he make a super deacon? Wouldn't he be Mr. Mr. Shine of Forth? And so I'm going to save Brian and I'm going to put him in Berean Baptist Church. That's not the way it happens. Listen, when God looks down at us, all he sees is sin. All he sees is, is wickedness and evil. He says in his own word that the heart of man deviseth wicked imaginations continually. And our human heart is, is vile and profane. And we need to understand that if any good thought comes through our mind, if any good word comes out of our mouth, if any good deeds are done by our hands... That is by the grace of God, not of ourselves. It is God working in us and through us. And I don't know about you, but I want to be, I want to be a tool that God wants to use, that God can use. And so we need to, we need to live our lives disciplined. And we need to be aware of the fact that, that we have holiness, but not our own. You need to be that means you need to be aware of the fact that everything you do represents your master, Jesus Christ. Everything you do, everything you say, everything you write, everything you post represents Jesus Christ and should be, should be such that is worthy of him. So we have been appointed to righteousness. But secondly, this morning, I'd like us, I'd like us to see that we have been called unto holiness. We've been called unto holiness. Now take your Bibles with me and let's turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I was going to have some Bible drills this morning. Since I don't have a, a video, I was going to have, have Bible drills and have the first person that found it stand up and read it. But I thought that might be a little immature, so we, I decided not to do that. Kids love that. I used, to, I used to, teenagers when I taught the class, I used to have Snickers bars. And if every time you were the one to stand up, you'd get a Snickers bar. And if nobody stood up, I'd get the Snickers bar. Might be why I'm a diabetic today, I'm not sure. Second Timothy chapter 1, and let's look at verse number 6. We read here, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. And of love and of a sound mind. 
Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God, who has saved us, verse 9, and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So we see here in verse 9 that we have been called with a holy calling. Now Paul's counsel to young Timothy in this counsel, first he reminds Timothy that we have been given the spirit of power, love, and wisdom. You know, I am amazed at how quickly Christian people today forget this. How quickly they forget that God has given us the spirit of power, the spirit of love, and the spirit of wisdom. We sit around and we mope and worry and fret and fear. But why do we do these things? If, if we, in fact, have been given this power, this, this spirit, then why do we sit around and do these things? Well, it's because we don't apply these things to our lives. It's because we continue to live our lives in ignorance, not aware of, of, of the, great, the great power that God has given us and the, and the great love that is ours to share and, and the great wisdom that is at our fingertips every day. And, and a large part of that ignorance is, due, is the fault of the pulpits across this country, which do not teach truth, which do not, which, which do not know truth themselves in many cases. Far too many preachers around this country just buy video, uh, buy audio tapes from other preachers and listen to it and preach their sermons. Do no study themselves. Do no, do no reading of the word of God. Don't, don't beg and plead with the Holy Spirit to teach them truth from God's word. You know, it's like going treasure hunting. Any of you ever go treasure hunting? Maybe you get a metal detector and go out and I bought a metal detector once many years ago. I thought I was going to get rich. That thing is just a junk fund. That's all it is. I didn't find one thing of any value at all. Matter of fact, it cost me money more than it made me money. But, you know, every day you and I can go treasure hunting in our Bible. And I guarantee you, if we use the Holy Spirit as our guy, we're going to come away with such wonderful treasure, such valuable wisdom. The Word of God is rich and, and, and will enable us to, to not live our lives in fear, but to live our lives with power, with love and wisdom. Jesus asked the same question to man. Why do you worry? Why do you fear? Why do you fret? Why do you have such little faith? In Matthew chapter 6, in verses 31 through 33, we read the words of Jesus. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We spend so much time in America trying to worry about our retirement, trying to worry about our mortgage, trying to worry about our children and what they're going to do and how they're going to make their way. We spend all this time worrying about all these things. But God said, take no thought for these things. He said, don't worry about these things. I know what you need. I will give you what you need. I will give you what I want you to have. God has not abandoned us. Did you hear me? 
God has not abandoned us. He has not forsaken us. We have no need this morning that God does not already know about. And he is faithful. And he will give us those things we require. Now, now we need to be reminded of these things. Paul, the, the scripture I read a moment ago started out with Paul telling Timothy, I put thee in remembrance. We need to remember these things. We forget. We get so wrapped up in the, in the events of the day. We get so wrapped up in, 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 in things of this life that we forget. We forget that God already has a plan for our lives. That he knows what we need. And he will, he will provide those things for us. He is faithful. He will give us those things we require. We just need to learn to be content with what God gives us. Ah, here's the problem. Here's the problem. We're not content with what God gives us. We want more. They got these commercials on. I don't know if you've seen them with the guy sitting in the chair with the little kids all around him. And he, 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 this one, he says, what's better, more or less? And the kids go, more, more, we want more, we want more. And that's, that's, the, you know, that's pretty much the way we are in life, aren't we? We want more, 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 more. It's not enough, Lord. It's not enough that you feed us. It's not enough that you clothe us. It's not enough that you give us a place to live. We want a bigger house. We want fancier food. We want nicer clothes. Let's face it. That's what we are in America. It's a bunch of spoiled kids. As Christian nation, we're a bunch of spoiled, rotten children. And we want more, 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 more. And we're not satisfied with what God has given us. And this too is an age old problem. All the way back in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 8. Solomon wrote, all things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. Nor are the ear filled with hearing. And we're just not satisfied in America. We don't, we, we're not satisfied with one car, we've got to have two. And we're not satisfied with, with uh, a three-bedroom house, we've got to have a four-bedroom house. We're not satisfied with ground beef, we've got to have uh, top round. We're not satisfied with, with what we have, which God, by the way, has, has given to us. Do you ever stop to think about what you're actually praying for when you pray for your food? Have you? Are you truly grateful to God that the food that is in front of you, he has given you? We, we, out of obligation, pray for our meals. But is there any real thanks in our heart? Do we really appreciate the fact that we're breathing air right now? Do you ever think about that? Scientists say, you know, the earth is an oddity because... If we were one degree this way, we'd freeze to death. If we were one degree this way, we'd boil to death. The earth is in a perfect orbit. Do you ever stop to think about how all of that happened? God did that for us. Are we really thankful? Do we really appreciate? See, this is the age-old problem. We want more. We're not happy with what God gives us. God, God couldn't possibly know what we need. We have to tell God what we need. I've had people tell me this so many times. Ah, they say, oh, I would be so happy if I just had another job. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't be any happier with another job. They say, my life would be so much better if I could just make a few more dollars per hour. No, it wouldn't because you'd adjust your spending to compensate. 
So you, you make more money, you spend more money. People say, I'd be happier if I had a bigger house. Then things would be so much better. No, they wouldn't. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, but that lawn has to be mowed the same as yours. And allow me to respond to these statements with a famous Greek term, hogwash. If you're not happy, listen, let me tell you something. If you aren't happy right now with what God has given you, knowing that, listen, let me ask you a question. Is God in control of all things? Yes or no? Does God, is God faithful? Yes or no? Does God know what we need? Yes or no? Does he provide our needs? Yes or no? Then is what you have what you need? Are you content with it? If you're not, you need to get that straight. God takes care of his children. If you aren't happy now with the things God has seen fit to give you, then you will never be happy with you think you need. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 6, Paul tells us, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to, throw a pity party here, but most of you know the situation that, that, that Patsy and I are in right now. But we don't sit around at home thinking, well, woe is me. And I don't go to God and say, God, why are you doing this? You see, I know in my heart that God has a plan for me, that God knows what I need, and that he will provide what I need. And by the way, he has faithfully provided what we need. And, and we don't need to fret or worry. We just need to be happy with what we have and do all that we can do to serve God and to further the work of his kingdom. You know, pastor has to almost beg people around here to come to church. That's, that, that, that bothers me. Every time I sit there and hear pastor say, I hope to see you in church. Sunday morning. Why, where, where, where else would you be? I mean, seriously, where else are you going to be? Are you or are you not a child of God? Does he or does he not provide what you need? Did he or did he not save your soul? What in the world could possibly be better than being in his house to worship him? It's a pitiful testimony of our nation. And this is why Christians in America are going to be judged not too far down the road. Because our pastors have to beg us to come to church. He'll finish this morning's service and he'll say, well, I hope to see you this evening. You know, he ought to stand up and say, you better be here this evening. If not, watch out. Because those blessings that you have coming in can stop. And, and get this attitude out of your mind and God punishes us. God doesn't punish his children. Okay? He doesn't punish us. He may withhold blessings from us. But he doesn't punish us. Our punishment was, was, was done with Jesus on the cross. God doesn't punish you. You don't get a flat tire because you weren't in church. You got a flat tire because God didn't blow it and inflate it for you. Okay? He doesn't punish us. He withholds blessings, though, 
So if, if you're being blessed right now, if God is doing good things for you, you better not forsake him. You better not forget him because that switch will turn off and you'll, you'll, you'll pay the price for it. You'll suffer for it. We'll never be happy with the things we think we need unless we're already happy with what God has given us. And you know, I've learned that happiness doesn't come from temporal things. Happiness comes from eternal things. We have not been left here to pursue our own happiness through entertainment, comfort, or pleasure. And let me just say this, as a believer, and I believe I have this on your sheet, as a believer, you will never be happy until you are living your life to serve and further the kingdom of God. No amount of temporal goods will bring you true happiness. These things that people long for and labor for, I'm blind. They don't bring true happiness. I think I got five minutes. Four minutes. They don't bring true happiness. People, people, oh man, you see my new car? Well, you guess what? Two or three years from now, you're going to be standing in a mechanic shop and he's going to be handing you a $5,000 bill and you're going to say, oh man. I need a new car. Houses. Go ask the people in Oklahoma City how secure they are in their houses. Huh? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When we begin to put our love and our affection into those kind of things, God says, wait a minute here. Let me show you what's, what's really important. We have been called unto Holiness. Therefore, let us live our life to God's glory and honor. We have been appointed to holiness. We have been called unto holiness. So let's, let's not live our lives for, for what we, the temporal things we see. Let's live our lives for the eternal things. Things like your family, your children, your, your church. These are the things that we will that we will take to eternity with. I heard I've heard it said, you never see a U-Haul being pulled by a hearse. Paul said, we brought nothing into this life, and it's certain we'll take nothing out with us. But we can send things on ahead: prayer, service to God, the things we do with our with our time and our life, redeeming our time for for spiritual things, for eternal things. These are the things that. We send ahead of us. So if we're going to be effective tools for Christ, if we're going to be tools that God uses, we're going to have to do these things. We're going to have to walk worthy of our Father. We're going to have to walk circumspectly and and be disciplined in our life and heedful of those things around us. And we're going to have to walk in holiness. And we're not done dealing with holiness now. We're We're going to have a few more, probably a couple more lessons on that. So I encourage you to, to be here every service. I encourage you to be in the house of God. Let's demonstrate to the world that we love our Father. Amen? And let's be faithful servants to God. All right. Thanks for being here this morning, and you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928.
Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.